The Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you this week by you, the hundreds of people who listen to the Door County Pulse podcast and the weekend primer twice a week, every week. If you're an individual or small business who would like to reach out to those hundreds of listeners each week, then why not think about sponsoring an episode of the Door County Pulse podcast or weekend primer? You can do so by emailing us at info at doorcountymarketing.com. From all of us in Door County and across the United States who check in every week to the Door County Pulse podcast, we look forward to hearing from you very soon. Welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast, where each week we talk with the writers and editors of the Peninsula Pulse about the stories you can find in this week's issue. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor for the Peninsula Pulse. How are you doing, Miles? I'm good, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Also with us today is Aaliyah Kidd, the multimedia editor for the Peninsula Pulse. How are you, Aaliyah? Good. Doing great. Great. Uh, we have a couple little bits of news to get into first, and then we're going to jump right into our feature this week. Uh, why don't we start with, there's an update maybe on the Fish Creek Beach House situation that's going to a vote, correct? Yeah, they're um, finally taking the next step on the Fish Creek Beach bathrooms. They had a, a vote in July. They brought forth a plan for a bathroom that was going to cost about $850,000 and would have included like a pavilion and gathering space. That got roundly rejected by voters, and now they've come back with a scaled-down design, uh, probably a little bit more rustic design from architect Richard Toyne out of, I believe, Sturgeon Bay. He's a Door County architect, and he's come up with a a much more streamlined design, and this one will come in at about $250,000. So that will go to a vote next week, October 17th, all the town electors. Uh, get to have a say in it. Whoever shows up, it's at the Gibraltar High School gym at 7 p.m. So it's not a public vote? It is a public vote. All the, all the town electors, anybody who's a, a resident of the town of Gibraltar, and even if you're a non-resident, you can go, you just can't vote. Okay. Uh, if if the voting goes well and it gets passed, then we move forward with it. What happens if uh, they decline the new proposal? Well, I think everyone in Fish Creek and town of Gibraltar is in agreement that there needs to be a new permanent bathroom at the beach. So they've, they're going to come to some version of a bathroom. Um, right now, they've just had porta johns there for as long as I can remember, and they're pretty much like right in front of the beach. So it's the main thing you see when you go to the Fish Creek Beach when you pull in the parking lot. But I would be surprised if this one got rejected as well, just because of it, it meets a lot of what the, um, the, the people who didn't like the first one, really the cost was the, the main thing. They said, we don't need a pavilion. We don't need this grand thing down on the beach. We just want bathrooms. So they brought it way back down, uh, a much more affordable price tag. And I would, my hunch is that it will pass, but people are pretty finicky and they might get hung up on very small design elements and could vote that down. Aaliyah, have you been following this story at all? Not too closely. I've been just reading the stories and everything, but. I I used to work in Fish Creek Mm -hmm. and so I would drive by that beach all the time and it always kind of stood out to me as being very small. Like, it almost feels just like a parking lot. Mm-hmm. How much time have you spent on the beaches up here in Door County? Um, I'm more of an Ellison Bay beach gal myself, so. <laughs> okay, so a lot so more much. room to spread out. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, how is the, the expansion project moving forward, Miles? Well, they've got a plan to redesign the whole parking lot. You mentioned the parking on the beach, and it does. It takes up about a third of the beach. That total park area is just parking lot. They're going to remove all the almost all of the parking from the beach area, and that's why they built a bigger parking lot across the street. And so there'll be more green space, more space for a, um, 
water runoff, and more space for, I think, a, a larger playground area there. And the, the goal is to really accentuate the natural resources rather than the parking needs. And there are a lot of people who still feel like there should be a lot of parking down there. I don't agree with that. As I've said many times in this podcast, I think parking-centric planning is a bad idea for any community. Um, you plan for people and you work the parking around that. And the last thing I think you want to do as a community is spend a lot of money for beautiful waterfront property and then use it for parking. Right. So I, I think they've got the right idea in moving the parking across the street. Gonna, there's going to be a drop-off area there for people who, if they have kids or if they have a bunch of beach chairs, you can pull in, unload your stuff, and then go park across the street and then walk back over. Have we seen any any plans or, or sketches of what this might look like when it's completed? There are some really good sketches on our website on DoorCountyPulse.com of the new beach bathrooms. There are kind of site plans for the overall beach. They're not like the kind of like artist rendering type looks that are kind of that give that give you a better idea of what that beach might end up looking like. They haven't come up with those yet. There's also a pier down there that was part of the property that they bought to expand the beach, and that pier is. Just a very rickety, I've walked on it, you're not supposed to. Um, it's a pretty rickety pier. Um, their debate now is what What do we do with that? Do we keep, they, they can't have access, like public access on that. But if they tear it down, they may never be able to build it again. So they're, they're kind of holding on to that. And that's kind of the one sticking point in that design uh, process for them is what do we, do we want to build a big pier with maybe a gazebo at the end of it and have it a kind of a feature of the park? Or do we want to, just a real simple lookout area that's just a little walkway, kind of like um, like something you might see at the ridges over the, the swales and things. Sure. So that's probably the biggest question that remains in their overall design. So help me visualize. They bought the property to the north of the beach currently, right? So would the expansion be moving to the north? Yes. Okay. So what they did is the, the beach used to end, if you drive by that beach, it used to end right where the parking lot ends on that north side. And they, where they've cleared out a bunch of the trees and there used to be a little cabin there, they moved that out of there and that area is going to be the expanded beach and, and park space. Okay. And the, the current parking lot, that's all being replaced with a continuation of the beach or more green space? More green space, yes. Okay, great. Any other takeaways from the upcoming vote? Uh, no, I would just think, uh, I, I would think you'll see a pretty good turnout. The last one was in July. This one's right the week after Fall Fest. I, it's, it's going to be interesting to see if there's as many people who show up because there's not as many um, summer seasonal residents around right now. Mm -hmm. But um, I would think it'll be a, a pretty well-attended meeting in the town of Gibraltar. They Great. like to voice their opinions. Yeah. And what are the dates on that October meeting? October 17th, 7 p.m. Perfect. Gibraltar High School Gymnasium. Okay. Uh, moving on, speaking of Gibraltar, um, the referendum is coming up. What uh, What can we hope to see on the referendum this year? Yeah, so I wrote a story for this week's issue about the referendum that's coming up on November 6th. Gibraltar is um, a small school with declining enrollment. And like many schools, actually all the schools in Door County have repeatedly gone to referendum for operational costs. That stems back to the state imposed, and I'll try to say this without being really boring here because it's a hard topic to follow, but they imposed revenue limits in 1993 that limited the amount that a school district can tax its constituents without going to referendum. So that, that cap is still in place. So all the costs that schools are based on, all their revenues and taxes that, that they can collect are based on the 1993 level. And of course, expenditures have risen far beyond that. Um, healthcare costs have, have gone up so many, so many times since that 93 level. So it's, our school funding formula is out of whack. Actually, our local assemblyman, Joel Kitchens, is 
on a committee to um, re-examine and come up with suggestions for a new funding formula. It's one of several blue ribbon committees that they've created over the years to address this issue. And they, they always come back with basically nothing changes. So maybe this time something will change. I, I don't have hopes up for it. So in any case, Gibraltar is going to referendum again for two topics. There will be two questions on the ballot. One is an operating referendum that would raise an additional $1.4 million next year, $2.8 million the year after that, and then $4.2 million the year after that, and every year moving forward from that. And that's just for operational expenses, rising salaries, health insurance costs, basic uh, heating and cooling costs for the school. It's an old school that has had several additions over the years, but the the oldest parts of that school date to 1935. Management of the bus fleet, transportation costs, all these things that are a little more expensive in a rural area. On the other hand, they have another referendum that is about $4.2 million to remodel the IMC, uh, the high school library area. Gibraltar's, what that would do is it would, it would raise the ceiling and put the, to allow them to put a bunch of windows around the library and let a, nat- a lot of natural light in and kind of remodel that whole IMC area from being like your classic library book space, card catalogs, to a real technology space, which is what schools are transitioning to all over the country. So then what are, what are the big takeaways from the upcoming referendum then? Well, Gibraltar School, it's, it's going to be interesting. They, they don't usually go with two questions on the same ballot. Usually a school will go to referendum with either an operational referendum or with the, this one, which would be a facilities referendum. Because usually if you put two on the same ballot, voters, if they're going to approve one of them, they'll just, or if they're, if they're inclined to vote yes, they choose one or the other. So you kind of put one plan at risk for the sake of the other one. There's also like voters will look at it as obviously two big sums of money, add them together. And instead of looking at them as two separate, like $4 million referendums, they're going to say that's an $8 million referendum. No way. Those are the risks involved. So it's, it's going to be really interesting for Gibraltar whether or not this referendum passes. On the other hand, it looks like chump change compared to what Sevastopol is looking for, which is a $25 million referendum to basically totally overhaul their even older school with it, that has a lot of issues. So it, it's going to be an interesting um, election for our local school, school districts. The other thing with the Gibraltar facilities referendum is that school, the high school was built as an addition in, I think, 1971. And at that time, schools were creating these what were called open plan schools, where they would have like a library and then all the classrooms around it, but no walls. So everyone, you, like you could sit in one classroom in math class and you'd overhear the chemistry class or your, your social studies class. And there was a lot of disruption. That, that plan, those kind of schools were built. They were like cutting edge at the time. They thought that was going to be the new way to get collaboration between teachers and students. Within a few years, they put the walls back up and that those plans went by the wayside. But that library and high school at Gibraltar is still built it, it still functions basically as that kind of makeshift high school based on that plan that didn't work in the first place. And none of the high school classrooms have exterior windows. So they're all a little, little dark. It's all fluorescent lighting in that entire high school. So one of the aspects that they've been touting with this referendum is just the opportunity to get natural light in the classrooms and create a better learning environment. And then all of the technology upgrades. Because uh, I don't know what you guys remember, like what was your high school libraries like you guys are both at least 10 years younger than me uh my high school library i had a a relatively small high school i remember my middle school library a lot more um, probably because i was reading for fun a lot more in middle school (laughs) before high school showed up um but it i mean the the biggest thing that our school had was our pac and it was shared with the town 
So hmm. we, we had a, a similar situation to what Gibraltar has in that they share their performing arts center with Door Community Auditorium. Um, but our, I couldn't even tell you the amount of times that I went to the library. On I could count it maybe on two hands. Hmm. So, I mean, it, it, it was definitely was not a big focus at my school. Um, yeah, thinking back, um, I had a newer high school. It was built probably five years before I started attending. So it was nicer. There was an area with desktop Mac computers. So I remember that being a thing and you had to sign up to get your time. But um, I remember there were really big windows and it did kind of function as like the hub with a lot of natural light, which, you know, for me personally, I need natural light in order to wake up. And if you put me in fluorescent rooms, it's a lot harder to focus. So yeah, and a lot of at UWGB when I was in college, their their um, lecture halls they had been in the new Marianne Coffrin Hall, which is now like fifteen years, twenty years old. Um, but they had like floor to ceiling like slit windows that were like maybe a couple feet wide by like thirty feet tall, just to get natural light in all year. So you'd never actually have to turn on the overhead lighting. Um, and really, it was based on this science that that just creates a better learning environment. And um, Gibraltar's trying to get a, a sliver of that. I, I know when, when I was in high school, they were just transitioning to like one year I was learning about card catalogs and the next year they were like, forget all that. The Internet's here. And then it was replacing all, all these tables suddenly had computers on them. And now in talking to some educators last week, like, yeah, now the computer labs aren't a thing anymore. I went to college and you would spend late nights in the computer, like walking several blocks to cram last second, get your papers done until four in the morning. At least that's how I did it in the computer lab. And now every student is just basically by the time you get to college, you probably have your own device. And if you don't have one already, you probably have to buy one when you go to college. Right. And you have to be really well versed in all that technology. Like there's there's no learning computers at that next level anymore. Like you probably need to know that in eighth grade, mm-hmm. probably even younger. I don't know. I probably sound like an idiot to people who are educating right now. Well, and I, I mean, I grew up or I went through school, I graduated in 2012. So I was going through the majority of my schooling in the 2000s. And I remember early on in elementary school, we would have computer labs where we would play number crunchers off of a floppy disk. So like that's how far behind my school was Hmm. in the 2000s. So that when I, you know, graduated and stuff like that, we were still using, we, we had the mobile computer labs where they'd bring in the laptops and that kind of stuff, which was kind of a big step forward. But I remember, you know, while I was in high school, going back to the kindergarten classes and reading for them and seeing them with iPad labs. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it there was a huge change in technology, even just in the, you know, five or six years that I was out of middle school and high school. And I would assume it's, it's similar now. Um, I, I don't know where Gibraltar is at in terms of, you know, their equipment, but at least, you know, even in my smaller school, we were already using tablets by the time I graduated. Yeah. Gibraltar now has one-to-one technology for every student, which I think means a, a, a tablet for every student in the school. Like either they don't all take them home with them, but like they have access to every student would have access to one. And so it's, it's really crazy how quickly that became so ingrained in education. The tablets didn't even exist 10 years ago. Right. I mean, even my uh, my brother-in-law, who is 18, I remember he had his own school laptop in high school, which was crazy to me because I, you know, I had my own device in high school, but there was no program to assign devices to students when I was going to school. And and that's that's a bigger and bigger thing because schools are are being relied upon to provide technology to their students so that they can remain connected at home. Because in a lot of places, if they don't, then their student, you know, 
especially up here in Door County where internet access isn't that easy to come by all the time. Yeah. Uh, if, if you go home and you don't have reliable internet access, then you're at a disadvantage compared to your classmates. Mm-hmm. Well, and, the, and they have to, re, the school's got to provide it because, okay, if you want to teach to this level, you can't only teach the kids whose parents have the wherewithal to buy that equipment. Right. Like you, you can't segment that out. So you're either going to, if you're going to start teaching that technology, you're going to have to provide it so that everyone's got a fair shot. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the textbook today. So, and then my, my question is, you know, Aaliyah, you and I don't really have much skin in the game. We don't have kids right now. We don't right. have people going through the schools with Door County's population skewing older. Uh, how have these referendums gone in the past? They... Gibraltar's had a lot of success, and all of the Door County schools have had a pretty good success. I know Southern Doors had a couple of failed referendums. Um, Gibraltar did, the last time they went with two questions on the same ballot, it failed. That was back in around 2000. And I actually got involved in the finance committee at the time, just trying to figure out what had happened at that point. And it, it was a lot, a lot of the debate is you have an older population, not connected to the schools, not even like, it's not necessarily grandparents who, whose kids are in the school. It's a lot of people who are grandparents, but who have no connection to any Door County schools. They retired here. Um, so they've got a higher hurdle. And luckily, we have a very um, giving community, both from a philanthropic standpoint, but also people who believe in education. So Gibraltar's always been able to pass these, but this is, you never, you never want to take that for granted when you're in the school. Right. Here's a question for you on the technology side, but like, did your teachers, by the time you guys were coming through, were teachers still saying stuff like, um, you're going to have to figure that out by hand. You won't always have a calculator with you. Yep. No, absolutely. I, I struggled with math and science in school. I was always really great at uh, language arts and English and stuff like that. And by the time I got to high school and I could take electives, I focused a lot on performance electives. So taking speech class and debate and that kind of stuff. Anytime that I could switch a class out for a theater alternative, that's what I would do. But I had to take a couple math classes, even though I like tested into the lowest math, which for some reason was also the least amount of math in my school. You would think that you'd have to do more math if you were in the lowest rung of math. But if like if you were testing out of algebra, then you could just you would do like calculus and trigonometry and advanced. Like you had to do way more Mm -hmm. math if you were good at it. But I, I always struggled with that because I was of that mind that like, you know, this isn't going to come up in my life. If it does, I will be able to use a calculator. The best I ever did in math class was when I had, it was my, my junior year, and I had a teacher who taught us how to input stuff into our calculator to get the results. Like that was how she taught. So it wasn't about memorizing formulas or understanding the mechanics of it. It was like, this is how you can practically do this. And I did really well in that class because it made sense to me. It wasn't about like trying to remember formulas or putting things together in my head. But I mean, even in 2012, I was hearing that too. By the time I had a cell phone with a calculator in it, they were still like, you know, you're not always going to have a calculator. You got to know these things. These things will come up and uh, they haven't. And and the reason I ask is one of the, the Gary and Metner at Gibraltar, he said a lot of education is moving away from that rote memorization of facts and having and getting all that down. Instead, it's schools now are expected to teach you like you, you have all that information at your fingertips at all times. So it's more about how are you able to use that information and teaching you creative ways to put that to use, to use technology, to, to use that information that's at your fingertips all the time. Right. And that was, it's interesting that that shift. I mean, when I was in school, it was, a, it was still a lot of just memorizing things, but mm-hmm. now it's about providing technology. So kids are ready when they go to the next level. Um, and whether, and that's not just university. 
the the teachers and educators at Gibraltar that I talked to said one of their places they went to plan for this was NWTC, the tech school down in Sturgeon Bay. And they looked at their library and said, wow, our kids are not getting prepared to use this type of learning environment. And that's that's what their goal is for this. So right. education's changed a lot. Yeah, I know even in high school, but definitely in college, I was pretty keenly aware when I was being taught to pass a test versus when I was being taught to understand concepts. Hmm. Um, I was an honors student in college, and all of those honors classes that I took were about taking concepts and expanding them and, and learning how to you know work within those. So I, I mean, I had a whole class on computational theory, which would be like, when I took it, I thought like, oh, it's the, it's the, it's like a programming course, but it's not. It's about like, how do you look at the philosophy of computation? You know what I mean? Like yeah. it was all about expanding these ideas and working within them. And then that made it really clear to me when I was taking a test or when I was taking a class that was teaching to the test only. And it was like, why am I even here if you're just going to get me to, to pass a test? Like mm-hmm. passing a test does not teach me what it is you're trying to teach me. You have to, you know, help me understand it. Well, did, mm-hmm. did either of you, did your grades ever get you a job? Um, I don't think so. But yeah, I mean, I remember having to list my GPA in some spots, but no. Yeah. Like I, as someone who hires people and talks to people who are looking for employers, employees all the time, I've never looked at a GPA. I've never looked right. at like honors, stuff like that. It's always like, does this person seem like A, they're going to show up and work hard? And are they a problem solver? Like that, those are like the two biggest attributes. And I, I bet you, you could talk to an employer in almost any field and that's what they're looking for mm-hmm. above almost anything else. Mm-hmm. To play devil's advocate to that, I don't think my, my grades or my schooling have ever really come up in a job interview, but I got the opportunity to be on the decision-making committee for the honors program. And I actually had to look at applicants to the freshman applicants to the honors program and decide who gets in. And unfortunately, GPA had a pretty big weight on it. So, I mean, I would fight for students that I was like, their GPA wasn't great, but this is their story and this is why maybe it wasn't mm-hmm. great. And they have all of these other things going for them. But when it came down to like, okay, so here's two people that are equally qualified, but one has the higher GPA, that's the one that we're going to go with, mm-hmm. even even though the GPA isn't the biggest teller. Yeah. And I so, guess for me, GPA, I did get a couple scholarships going into college based on that. So there's obviously pros to having that. Right. Higher GPA. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I graduated high school with a 3.2. So I did okay, but I didn't, like, kill myself over it. Mm-hmm. Whereas I had friends who graduated with a 4.0, and they were, like, like hurting really bad by the end of it. And we went to similar schools. I mean, mm-hmm. I went to yeah. Augsburg, and they went to St. Thomas. And those are comparable schools in terms of, you know, location and requirements to get in. So take your take your GPA, you know, Treat your GPA with respect and do what you can to make sure that you're, you're doing the best that you can. But, you know, if, if, you're, if you're bending over backwards and killing yourself over a 4.0, you know, maybe take a step back and, and look at what your priorities are. Maybe it's uh, getting into a master's program. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Unlike us, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's true. Uh, any other takeaways from the referendum coming up? No, uh, I'm sure we'll have a, a couple more articles about that as we get closer to the date. We'll be we'll be doing another report on Sebastopol's referendum and the um, I believe it's Southern Door has a referendum as well. Great. Well, why don't we take a break and when we come back, we are going to talk about Fall Fest this weekend. Woohoo! Okay, we are back. I am joined again by Miles Danhausen and Aaliyah Kidd, and the. 
feature this week is on the upcoming Fall Fest Festival in Sister Bay. Um, we talked a little bit about this on the weekend primer, me and Matt, uh, but I thought maybe we could dig into some more personal anecdotes and maybe a little bit of the history of the event too. Um, so Fall Fest is coming up this weekend, and I'm going to be there with Matt. We're going to do some video stuff. Miles, Aaliyah, are you going to check it out this weekend? Of course. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And Aaliyah, you've said that you've come up to Fall Fest a lot in your past, correct? Yeah, I think the last five or six years at least. Um, it's a family tradition with my aunt and my cousins. And in the last few years, the word has gotten out that it's a very popular and fun weekend. So now I've got a lot of friends joining me as long as well as my husband. So um, it's planning planning a fun weekend. And Miles, have you ever missed a Fall Fest? I, I did miss a couple when I was living in Chicago, but... Um... Fall Fest has been, I mean, when I used to run Husbies, that's like the center of Fall Fest. So we would make in three days, it was so busy up there, we'd make more in three days than we would for most of the winter months throughout for the next like five months. So it it, it paid a lot of bills. Sure. In terms of like like big weekends up in Door County, is Fall Fest in like the top three? That's a good question. I would say like um, July 4th week is probably like busiest countywide. Mm-hmm. Uh, although Memorial Day is probably in that ballpark too. Pumpkin Patch Weekend, uh, which the rest of the world knows as Columbus Day Weekend, which probably should be Indigenous Peoples Day Weekend. But um, that is probably like the busiest in the, back when I was in the restaurant industry, we would call that like the busiest food weekend of the year because all the restaurants were all packed. Pumpkin Patch Weekend usually brings people to the entire county and like the entire county will be packed. Um, Like Sister Bay will be really busy that weekend even though the festival is down in Ake Harbor. Fall Fest weekend, it's a lot more Sister Bay centric. Like Sister Bay will be crazy, but um, I grew up in Ake Harbor and Ake Harbor would always be like dead on Fall Fest weekend. Mm-hmm. So uh, I shouldn't say dead, but it'd be like comparatively dead. But, would you? What would you say is the difference? Because like we just had Pumpkin Patch and I had to drive through Egg Harbor twice on Pumpkin Patch weekend. Um, pity you. And, yeah, exactly. It, does Sister Bay see a similar sort of congestion up there? Because when you're coming up north on 42, unless you go up the Bailey's Harbor side, you're going to have to pass through Egg Harbor to get anywhere else in the county for the most part. Um, but with everything being up in Sister Bay, do we see as much of a, a traffic jam situation? Yeah, so Sister Bay closes down the street. Right. And uh, for the longest time, none of the other festivals did that. And Sister Bay was like the only time of the year that you could actually like hang out and drink outside in the on the street. And they close it from, my, I think it's like 9 a.m. until like 4 or 5 p.m. Mm-hmm. And so you can't get up the highway through Sister Bay. You have to know your back roads. Uh, parking, um, I would say get there early. Parking at country walk shops and at the church at the top of the hill and walking into town or at the sports complex on the east side of the village. It's only like four blocks away. It's not that bad of a walk. And then on Woodcrest Road, Woodcrest Road they set up parking lots just outside the village as well. But yeah, you, you need to know your back roads if you're going to try and get around Sister Bay this weekend. Mm-hmm. Now, this is going to be my first pumpkin patch, but Aaliyah, like you said, you've been coming up here a lot. What's your perspective on the weekend? Um, well, now that I'm living up here, it's a little bit different. But um, in the past, it's just been basically coming to uh, Door County during the peak of color. So it's obviously super beautiful outside right now. And and that's usually right when um, fall is really starting to look gorgeous outside. But I think it's like, like Miles said, just being able to be outside together. And it has that like very special feeling that you can like walk down Main Street in Sister Bay and just see that hill full of people. And there's live music happening at multiple different places at the same time. 
just a really fun atmosphere and it's a great end of the season and to kind of kick off going into fall and winter. Yeah, like the it's and it's grown like it used to be like a couple places would have music, Husby's and maybe down the street one or two places would have live music. Now it's every place, it, not every place, but it seems like like every every place you walk through town has another band and the bands keep getting better and better. Mm-hmm. There's a couple like Sneezy, I'm pretty pumped to see Hoi Polloi. Um Radio Free Honduras is playing in town. So you can just walk through town and just get a totally different vibe at at mm-hmm. each different stop as you go through. And it's become, like, it's always been um, a party. There's always been a lot of drinking. But it's become more and more of a food festival, too, over the last few years. Like, everyone's really stepped up their game from the food side. Yeah, you can't drink all day if you don't have food in you. So I think that's right. an important element now. And, yeah, this year there's more than uh, 20 vendors selling different food items and Obviously, Sister Bay already has a lot of food restaurants on that main area, and a lot of those places are selling out of, out of their front porch and mm-hmm. being on the street level. Um, so there's a lot of exciting things happening along with drinks and uh, snacky-type foods. Right. And you, Aaliyah, you did a, an article recently about five different types of food experiences that you can have at mm-hmm. Fall Fest. How was, what was writing that like? Well, I was just thinking back on my different experiences over the years, and you know, one of the things that we always do is stop by the Lions Club, which my great uncle always was a part of in Sister Bay. So we always had to go support him. And, you know, that's a fundraiser for them. And there's lots of other fundraisers happening at different food stands. But we'd do the brat or burger from the Sister Bay Lions Club. And we'd always start off with a Bloody Mary because, you know, it's Saturday midday. It's a little cold. You're a little hungry. So start off with your Bloody Mary. And this year, um, one of the cool new items that happened last year is the first year is the Tomatillo Bloody Mary from Chap, which, you know, if you can imagine in your head, it's a green Bloody Mary instead of the classic red. Mm-hmm. So just a little bit more fun. Um, Tomatillos are a little bit more tart. So it's just something different. And Chap doesn't sell them normally. So it's, this is their Fall Fest special kind of. Right. And along with that, it's got your classic cheese curds from Husby's. Can't go wrong there. Um, a big, big pretzel from Beerzot. So that's a nice, warm, bready snack. Mm-hmm. And you can share with your friends. Um, what else did I put in there? Oh, pumpkin pie in a cup, which I saw is that. a popular item. And that is a warm pumpkin pie um, filling mixed in with some of the crust topped with whipped cream. And that's an analog coffee mm-hmm. and ice cream. Uh, one that wasn't on your list was... Uh I, I don't know if they're doing it this year. I don't, I don't know if it's like a staple thing for them. But last year and previous years, like Door County Creamery does a gyro that's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like a goat meat gyro. And then, of course, with like goat cheese on it. It's fantastic. It's like the double goat experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, again, I haven't been there. Oh, and then they got hurricanes at Citra Bay Bowl. Oh, right. Was yeah. Another one. The hurricanes have been a favorite for, for me, too, because you drink a hurricane and then you go on the mechanical bowl. Yeah, that's a great combo. That yep. sounds sounds like nothing could go wrong. <laughs> what is a hurricane? It's a sweeter rum-based drink that was popularized in New Orleans. And so as you can imagine, kind of the street festival scene in New Orleans mm-hmm. and uh, Sister Bay Bowl kind of brings that aspect to Fall Fest. And actually that started coming up this way back when the Packers played in the Super Bowl in 90, after the 96 season, it was played in New Orleans and a bunch of people from Door County would go down there and... I think Pete D'Amico might have kind of brought back the idea and the bull took off with it of doing hurricanes there. And it really, it started with that weird Packers connection to New Orleans. And that next, those next few fall fests, it's like 
everyone would be like tossing beads around at Fall Fest and, <laughs> and like drinking New Orleans style drinks. Mm-hmm. All because of one good Packers team. So speaking a little bit about the history of Fall Fest, again, this is this will be my first time. So why don't we talk a little bit about, you know, walk me through the town. Where does Fall Fest go from and to and what can I expect to see there? You're going to want an IV drip to walk around with. Um, <laughs> Keep yourself hydrated. Well, Fall Fest started as like this celebration of the end of the season for locals and service industry workers 73 years ago. And and it was like a lot more at that time. I was told, I think Greg Casperson told me that there was actually like a kid's carnival in the middle of town. And it was a lot, I think like Thursday or Friday night was all about that kid's carnival. And then Saturday was like the party. And then at different points of the ebb and flow of these festivals, because they're usually volunteer-based and things come and go. So that kids' carnival was lost for a stretch. And now they've, the last few years, they've really brought a lot more of that back. So you have like the Ferris wheel downtown and a lot of the kids' games are back. Um, I think they might, they might've had like a midway on Mill Road way back in the day. So that must've been kind of a cool kind of fairgrounds sort of scene. The ping pong drop has always been a huge part of it, but they used to drop them out of a helicopter and... Over the years, there's been high winds or FAA regulations and, and different reasons that they couldn't do that. This year, they say they're bringing it back. What form it takes, I don't know yet. That's but still gonna... a mystery as of we're almost there and we yep. still don't know what it is. Who knows? Maybe there's going to be like a B-52 bomber come over and just drop them from <laughs> way up high. Matt and I talked about it in the podcast because I didn't know what the ping pong drop was. And I actually thought it was just everybody gets in a big circle and they drop one big one off the roof <laughs> at the Sister Bay Bowl. <laughs> and then everyone goes, woo, and then goes back to their beer. <laughs> um, but yeah, when he was like, oh yeah, they drop a bunch of them and they all have deals written on them for local businesses. I was like, oh, that sounds way better. But then the question is like, are they going to use a drone? That's got to be a big drone to have a big net of ping pong balls to drop up there. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that turns out. And I, I fully expected to find out exactly how it was going to go down <laughs> in this podcast. But the fact that we still don't know, it's going to be a surprise for everybody then. Yep. <laughs> and they are calling, it sounds like it's going to be windy. So <laughs> Some years you get like, we've had like 75 degree fall fest where it's like everyone's just in shorts and a t-shirt and it's just such a, everyone's just hanging out all outside like even later into the evening. And this is going to be one of those like winter stocking cap, couple layers fall fest. That's been my recent experience last five or six years. I feel like it's either been just like super windy or there's a chance of rain, but either way, it's mostly going to be pretty cold. So yeah. mm-hmm. putting on mittens and hats and just comfortable shoes really. I find that the weather really doesn't change festival attendance that much up here. I mean, I went to the wine festival last year and it was like a downpour. And there were still people out in ponchos and umbrellas and stuff. We're hardy folk up here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, yeah. exactly. But it was funny. I did do video of the wine fest in the rain. And you could tell that it was a very certain type of clientele who was out. <laughs> rain or shine had yeah. to get their wine kind of thing. Um, so... It looks like it's going to be sunny during the day on okay. fr- on Saturday, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that's a great time to get out there. Sunday's going to be more cloudy, maybe a little bit cooler, um, but hopefully the weather will hold up. Even if it does rain, I don't think anybody at Fall Fest is going to care that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, Miles, you talked a little bit about the, the history of the event. Um, what, do you remember Fall Fest in your youth at all? Uh, you, mainly from coming up to Sister Bay just to hang out with my buddies and stuff, like when you're a kid or you'd get roped into... In middle school, I was still in the band, so you had to march in the parade and play horrible middle school band music. At least I was terrible. Um, but then it, it was just like this kind of blur. There were just so many people and so much going on that you just kind of run around as kids and find the little adventures to do um, and, and maybe get in trouble. But then uh, once I graduated high school, I 
moved back and was running Husby's. Well, before that, I was running a little pizza place in town. So we had a little beer stand. And then by the time I was 21, I was running Husby's. So I always knew it as like a business owner. Even then, it was this great sort of fall fest for a local is like homecoming. It's like the the big homecoming parade and everything that you have in high school, but it's for like adults. So you just walk down the street and you see so many people that you haven't seen all year who come back for fall fest and people you either grow up with or people you've gotten to know over the years who just come back to Door County all the time. They come back for one last summer hurrah and fall fest weekend. And it's just such a, yes, there's a lot of drinking. Yes, there's a lot of eating, but it's also like kind of a heartwarming weekend for me just to see all these people come back into town. We we should touch on the drinking a little bit too. I mean, I I've been up here a couple of years, and I've I've even heard Fall Fest referred to as Fall Down Fest. Right? Is is the drinking a, a concern or you know they've 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 taken steps over the years to rein that in, and I believe this year I I don't know if there's going to be some specific effort by Uber, but there are they've Sister Bay um, after last year put a big effort into getting more Uber and Lyft drivers right. on the roads in Door County. And they've had a bunch of sessions for it. And I, I do believe there'll be more available this weekend. And um, if you are an Uber or Lyft driver, like turn your app on because there'll be p- people looking for rides this weekend. Mm-hmm. Well, um, no, that's a big thing that I wanted to bring up too. It seemed like in a lot of the informational meetings that Uber and Lyft were having over the winter, that festival weekends were kind of a big push. Yeah. And I know that getting people up here to drive people to and from Fall Fest was kind of a a big concern that people had. Yeah. Um, I think that there was some ride sharing going on last year, but this will be the first year after the big push to to get more Uber and Lyft drivers up here. So it'll be interesting. I know that that's one of the first things that I'm going to do when I'm there is turn on my app and see how many people are driving around. It would be great if there were, you know, three to five drivers who were in Sister Bay the whole time. Yeah. Uh, not only for those drivers, probably get a lot of fares that way, mm-hmm. um, but also just getting people to and from their hotels safely right. would be right. another big benefit. Mm-hmm. The Fall Down Fest moniker, I know they've made a uh, concerted effort to get away from that and add more kids' activities and family activities and make it more of a food fest than just like pure drinking, which is definitely what it used to be. Um, because like I said, it was just like, all right, we're done with the season. Like everyone just let loose. We're going to we're gonna kind of like put the rules away this weekend and just hang out in the street and all the locals are going to get together. So that was kind of the idea for a long time. Um, but now they, they, yeah, they've done a lot to, to try and rein that in. They have, you have to go get a wristband, um, and check in with that to be served throughout the town. Uh, hopefully they have a lot more drivers available. Hopefully the police have a good presence, which if that just stops people from getting in their car as they're leaving the the main street, like that, that makes a difference. When I had Husby's, a lot of the customers hated when the cops would sit outside the bar and they would call it entrapment. And I would just say like, I, I don't want you going home driving if you're drunk. So right. If they're sitting out there and you're saying like that's bad, oh no, no one's going to want to drive. I'm like that's good. I mm-hmm. wa- I always wanted them there at bar close, so hopefully they have a good presence at Fall Fest. Right. Yeah, I think that um, it's always been a fun party night and Friday and Saturday night being being the fun nights to go out and be out with everybody. And but I think the live music expansion has just really upped the ante for me. It's like it's not it's not any other night where you're just going to go to the bar and just have a lot of drinks. It's like seeing people out having fun dancing and just having those really good bands like you said like Hoi Polloi I've been really impressed with I've heard good things now from a couple people about Sneezy which I'll have to definitely check out Papa Rick's Chicks is a thing uh, at Stabor you know so there's some really cool venues that's just you know fun it's not 
all about the drinking. But um, another thing that it's always a fun weekend for is if you're a Badger fan, there's usually a good Badger game on Saturday. So we usually watch that. It's Michigan this week, isn't it? Michigan. So it's a big one. And that one's a night game this year. So that'll be interesting. Um, and then also the Brewers. Yeah. In. So sports weekends happen. Go too. Brewers. <laughs> well, and I also wonder too, um, how, how is Fall Fest different now than it was five or six years ago before Sister Bay's huge transformation? I'd say the food has really become like a, a centerpiece that it wasn't five or six years ago. Yeah, the the food and places like, yeah, Stabor and Door County Creamery and some of those areas, Beerzat, um, you know, those weren't as around, you know, what, I don't know, five or six years ago. But Yeah, those weren't as big um, a, they a destination. Or they didn't participate as much. So I think when I first started going to Fall Fest, it was, yeah, it was really centered between Sister Ray Bowl and Husby's. And now it's like really pulled everybody down towards that waterfront area. And there's just different, you know, places to hang out uh, along the whole area, the whole road that shut down versus being really concentrated around those bars. Yeah, I do think that the scene, there is a, a, a scene for everybody on Fall Fest now. Like there's the kids game area. There's the, the st- Stebur has a definite vibe. Husby's has a definite vibe. Door County Creamery puts a tent up and has like live music there. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, you can go watch games. Stebur is a great place to watch games. Husby's a great place to watch games. Last year, the Creamery had a bunch of portable TVs out on Sunday for the Packers game. So it's uh, it's definitely changed a lot. I think it's a lot better mm-hmm. over the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when people think of it as being fall down fest and sloppy, in six years of living in Chicago, I would go to street fests all the time. Mm-hmm. I would take the fall fest crowd over the Chicago bro crowd any day oh, yeah. of the week. I mean, it's nothing compared to some of the, the crap you see in, in some of those types of festivals. So, or um, Madison every game day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Or like even like back in the day, the Mifflin Street block party in Madison and yep. or Halloween in Madison used mm-hmm. to be pretty out of control. So it's it's funny when people talk about Sister Bay being out of control, and I'm like, well, maybe maybe for Door County, it it's a crazy weekend, but it's it's not that it's not that wild compared to some places. Right. It? So it's nice that you have that many people get together having drinks, but everyone's just like fun and welcoming and having a good time. Mm-hmm. Well, and there's there's been such a push for outdoor dining and stuff in in Sister Bay the last couple of years too that I would imagine that Fall Fest feels more expansive or more open. Yeah. More recently than it than it did maybe in the past because mm-hmm. you've got the garage bar at Husby's and and Stabur and and Sister Bay Bowl has a outdoor area as well. Yeah, the alley bar, um, the boathouse by the bay. I know that they serve up lobster rolls and mm-hmm. and that's you know JJ's too. You can get down there. <laughs> Does Chop have outdoor dining? I know that they have a patio area. Uh they have the rooftop, and I I think that they're going to be serving from their patio in front. Yeah. Okay. I don't make it to Sunday night anymore, but like on Sunday night for locals, JJ's has always been like the place to go. It's like everybody, once they get all the tourists out, husbands will close down early. The bowl will close down early on Sunday night. And then every, all the workers just go and hang. JJ always gets a band and everyone hangs down there and does Bernie's and um, kind of like finally takes a seat <laughs> after working all weekend. Um I'm, I might be too old to make it that long. Yeah, this will be my first Sunday where I get to hang out up here and not have to be wow. driving home on Sunday. <laughs> so that'll be nice. How late into the evening does Fall Fest usually go? Oh, I mean, Husbies will be packed till bar close, 2.30 in the morning. Um, yeah, those used to be some really, really long days. We'd close down the bar, and then we have to clean up the bar until 4 or 5 in the morning, and then two hours later get started opening the place back up. Um, Sister Bay Bowl, all those places will just be going all night. Mm-hmm. 
It might be fun. I might try to get up here after dark and try to walk through town because I, I miss that from the city sometimes, being able to walk anywhere in the cities and it's the light out and people are walking around and having a good time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm used to up here, if I'm driving anywhere past like 9 o'clock, there's nobody else on the road. Right. Um, I remember last year we were doing a shoot in the morning, so I drove through Sister Bay at like 4 a.m. on Fall Fest weekend, <laughs> and then on my way back down had to be completely diverted. Oh, yeah. But um, even even then, it's like you drive through, and Door County can be kind of a ghost town after dark. Mm-hmm. Um, Sister Bay is kind of known for its nightlife now. Um, there's been a big push for that in the last couple of years, so it'll be cool to see that like in full swing, oh, with yeah. that urban vibe coming out of there. Mm-hmm. Should be a great weekend. I look forward to it. Cool. Uh, Unless we have anything else that we want to mention uh, about the coming weekend or any other events, I think that that just about does it for us. Uh, Thank you both so much for coming on and chatting with me this week. And I look forward to hanging out with you guys at Fall Fest. Yep. Yeah, we can't wait to break you in. These stories and more will be available in this week's issue of the Peninsula Pulse, available throughout Door County. Don't forget to subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast for your weekly Pulse picks, interviews, and exclusive content from the Peninsula Pulse. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. 